Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Andrew Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. Our time is short on this earth. So how do you figure out what God wants you to do as a steward? He speaks to us through his word, which is very necessary, but we often also see his hand of providence in the details of our lives. Our guests today were called to the mission field of the wilderness of Alaska. We hear their story today on The Whole Steward. This is episode number 50. Thanks for sticking with me. We are coming to the end of the first year of The Whole Steward, and I'm very grateful for your listenership. Today is going to be a bit of a treat because I have some friends that have ended up in the wilderness of Alaska. Well, they're on the outskirts of Fairbanks, but they have a very unique story, very interesting route that God has taken them up to Alaska. So it'll be a different type of focus on stewardship today as we see just the time management, money management, all the different, the nine forms of capital that we talk about so many times at play as God leads them up to Alaska. The interview was a bit long, so it will be a two-part series. Today, we'll find out how they got to Alaska and just start to get into some of the interesting aspects of what they're finding out. They minister to the native people, and a big focus of this interview will be on culture. We talk about cultural capital is one of the pillars of capital that we have under our management, under our care. We'll see how the clash of culture can be an issue and yet still compatible with what God has taught us in his word, in his scripture in the gospel. And that is really going to be the focus as we wrap it all up and tie it together. So I hope you enjoy this interview with my good missionary friends, the Millers in Alaska, next on The Whole Stoop. Our next guests come all the way from Fairbanks, Alaska, where they serve as missionaries to Alaska natives. James is a pilot, and they fly into remote Alaska villages with their family, which includes five children and has expanded to include two sons-in-law and, most recently, a granddaughter. He trained for pastoral ministry, then as a marine aviator, and is currently finishing a Ph.D. in Christian missions with a minor in philosophy at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Shannon does that and everything else. Welcome to the show, James and Shannon Miller. Thank you, Andrew. It's good to have you. So it's really a blessing. I mean, we've been friends for, I don't know, probably 20 years. 20 years. I learned piano from Shannon. Thank you very much. And uh, they are now up in Alaska doing all kinds of fun things. So why don't you give us a little bit of background on how you ended up in, well, it's not Timbuktu. I actually recently looked up where Timbuktu was. It's in Africa somewhere. I was like, I've always used that term. I didn't know what it was. No, Fairbanks isn't quite that far out, but it is quite far. So tell us how you ended up in Alaska. Yeah, so that um, is a story that can go back 
quite a ways. So it's probably good though to to start with like how we met because um, we were oh yeah um, we're you know high school sweethearts. We met in a small Christian high school. Shannon was the the pianist for the high school choir, and I sang. And there's a long story there, but we won't go completely into that. But you know, I I was headed for pastoral ministry, and she was a pianist and was kind of being mentored by the pastor's wife, and you know, I just was a natural fit, and yeah, we met. She's two years younger than me, and so yeah, like I said, we you could, had to wait around a little bit. I had to wait around a little bit, yes. <laughs> um, but so after um, after high school, I went to Bible college. We got married there after my junior year of college. Mm-hmm. Then we spent a year, a school year in Israel on a mission slash study trip. And it's kind of interesting even that um, goes into our kind of track toward missions. And then uh, I went to seminary, finished my MDiv, and um, we moved out to eastern Montana where her parents had moved um, from northern California where we grew up. And I did about three years of pastoral ministry out there. And just after that, I just realized this isn't where God wants me to be. And so, you know, what do you do when you've trained like your whole life? Because I, I felt the call like at age nine. So here oh, wow. I'm like 29, almost. Yeah, 29 at that point. It's like, okay, what do you do? And so I joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> Yeah. Natural progression. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, Shannon, did you want to be a pastor's wife? I did. It, okay. I did. You know, the vision was we were going to settle down in some church somewhere 30 years or so, you know, nice, stable, quiet life. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of what I promised her going in. <laughs> <laughs> little bait and switch happened here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Changed, yeah. Huh? yeah. It changed a little bit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was summer of 2000, and um, I went into officer candidate school. I was from the officer candidate school, which is kind of like boot camp for officers, um, got commissioned, and then you go into six months of the basic school, which is your basic officer course. And I was supposed to start that in September, but I had some muscle strain in my feet, so they mm-hmm. pushed me back to the next class to give me time to heal up, because um, the basic school is also really physical. So... Um, I was, I started in late December of 2000 and halfway into that class, the XO of the company comes in and says, Hey, the commandant's authorized anybody that wants to go to flight school and pass the flight physical and the flight test can go to flight school. So I'm like, okay, I'll you know, go. So I took the test and passed and they had to give me an age waiver because at this point I'm 30 years old and the max is like 27 and a half. Yeah, in June of that year, 2001, we were on our way to Pensacola for primary flight training. Um, in the Marine Corps, everybody starts there, and then you go to helicopters or tactical jets, like fighter jets, and then, um, or a few go to C-130s. Mm-hmm. So um, I got into advanced tactical jet and went to Kingsville, Texas, to fly the T-45s. Well, what was going on that we didn't know at the time, well, first of all, in the middle or right at the beginning of primary flight training was 9-11. And what the Marine Corps was looking at, why they had opened up the door for flight school was every fighter pilot that gets their wings gets an eight-year obligation. 
and then so they were looking at all these pilots that were coming up on the end of that obligation they're going to get out they're going to go fly for the airlines well after 9-11 there were all the airlines went bankrupt because everybody was grounded for like a month and then it took a long time to really right, and then people didn't want to fly either right yeah it, it just was a real so so there are no jobs and mm. plus now we're in a shooting war and so people are staying in well, they had just pushed a bunch of us into that training pipeline. And so I was a year into advanced tactical jet, so two years into flight school, and I got cut. And looking back, I realized they had, they had more pilots than they needed. Because I actually met people in the fleet who got their wings, and then they got cut. And they had had their eight-year obligation, and now they were like a logistics officer or a supply officer uh, for eight years. And I actually ended up getting cut before that, so I had no obligation. Uh, so it was good in a way. It was good, yeah. I mean, God really gave me literally a million dollars worth of flight training. And yeah, thank you, taxpayers. Um, <laughs> and, and no obligation for it. So they reassigned me a new occupational specialty, and then we came here to Camp Pendleton, and then that's where we met you guys. Yeah. Um, that was in 2003. Um, and so even at that point, we were looking at, okay, we'd never lost a heart for ministry. Um, we, even in flight school, we were involved in ministry and, and, um, and we're like, okay, well, Lord, why did you give us this ability to fly mm -hmm. and where can we use that? Mm -hmm. And so we started looking at mission aviation and then we were directed toward Alaska through some contacts through Shannon's family. So let you talk about that. Yeah, first. it's so interesting to see as you look back over life, you see all the little threads that God just plans and pulls together mm -hmm. um, to direct us. And one of those goes clear back to before I was even a year old. My parent, Well, my parents had always had a dream of moving to Alaska. And so I was just tiny when they were fulfilling this dream and moving to Alaska and they they went to Anchorage and it happened to be at the time of the pipeline boom and there was no housing um, and they were living in a motel and um, had visited Grace Baptist Church and the pastor there was Lud Zerby and Lud and his wife ended up inviting my parents and me to stay in their basement until we could find permanent housing so we actually ended up living with them for six weeks and that began a lifetime um, friendship where they were exchanging Christmas letters each year. Mm -hmm. I knew who they were growing up. And um, their son, Les, ended up being a missionary pilot in Alaska. And then he was also supported by a church that we were part of in Montana. And that's the, the church my parents were then a part of. And my dad reminded me, reminded us, by sending us his prayer card and saying, hmm, you know, you, you maybe should get in touch with Les in Alaska, see what's going on up there. So your dad knew that you were looking for the, uh, an opportunity like that in Alaska. And he said, oh, yeah. why don't you in, get in missions in, in general? Them? Missions right. in yeah. general. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Interesting. Yeah. What were you doing while you were here in between that point where you got out of the military? I had two years here in the Marine Corps. And during that time, I did a deployment to Iraq. And so I was actually there for um, the o Operation Al-Fajir in Fallujah, or Phantom Fury, they called it, two, both names. So that was when we actually went into Fallujah. Mm -hmm. And so I worked in 
the Combat Operations Center for RCT-1, which was the main effort in Fallujah. But then I came back from Iraq in February, this would have been 2005, and we had... We could talk about this on the, you know, this is perfect as a whole steward, but we had actually bought a house, a fixer upper, yeah. and with the intent of flipping it, and it closed after I deployed. And then, and you were intimately involved. I in remember that because yeah. I was part yeah. of that flip. I was, uh, you know, helping uh -huh. Shannon do, you helping know. make that place habitable yeah. for me and my two children and one on the way. Yeah, yes. she was like six months pregnant yeah. when I left. Yeah, yeah, and so. Coming back, I got back in February, getting out in June. So you've got like four months of, oh, I've got this house that I have to remodel. We need to sell it. I need to figure out the next step in our life. And, you know, there just wasn't time to figure out missions and all that. And I had been looking online in Iraq at like jobs and LAPD was hiring. Mm. So I'm like, okay. I'll do that. So I put in the application and like two days, I think, after I got back from Iraq, I drove up there and like took those tests and stuff. And I filled out the application for LA Sheriff too. But it was like, it was, that is a huge packet of information you're filling out by hand, at least back then. And I was like, I can't apply to anything else. So it was like LAPD it is. So <laughs> yeah, so I got on with LAPD and that gave us some time to like figure out this missions thing yeah and you said uh, i have children at home a wife and you know missionary work on the way so put me in the safest part of la right no, no. Oh, okay well. <laughs> yeah i actually i got my top choice which was um, for probation which is was newton division they call it shooting newton okay um, south central la and it was it was in, very exciting it was yeah fun. i enjoyed it um who knows? It it sounded fun, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you don't do anything halfway, is what I'm hearing. It's like all in, you know, you're flipping houses, you're at the LAPD, and you're thinking about Alaskan, or you're thinking about missions in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So Alaska was not in the picture yet, and that's kind of where you were talking about how you started thinking about at this point. Where do you want to end up? Yeah, Alaska was in the picture when we started LAPD. Um, in fact, her dad was a police officer, and he really oh. wasn't happy about me pursuing police work because he's like, it's a gutter life. And, and he was right. It really is a gutter life. I mean, you really deal with a lot of nasty stuff. Mm. Um, and, and, but so, and that's actually when he sent us that prayer card. He's like, here, give these guys a call instead so of So it was near LAPD. the beginning yeah. of when you started at the LAPD. Yeah, it, it, it was. Okay. And so, yeah, we were thinking about that. In fact, you know, of course, I couldn't take any vacation that first year because I was on probation. So it was January of 2007. So it was actually a year and a half because I had academy for eight months and then the probation. Mm. And January 2007, we're like, okay, we can take vacation. We went to Fairbanks, Alaska to stay with the missionaries. And, and you know, it had warmed up to 10 below. So it was like, oh, yeah, I'd take, go out on the deck and barbecue salmon. And <laughs> we, yeah, we took a flight out to um, a, a little village called Manly Hot Springs. And he was doing a church service out there and just kind of got a taste of what it was like. And, you know, we're driving driving around Fairbanks and it was beautiful and like the snow it's like you know 
it's kind of like this winter wonderland, winter, yeah, right? Yeah, it stays on the trees. It's just yeah, it's not very windy when it gets that cold. It just it's still and it was beautiful. And we're like, yeah, you know, we could we could do, do this. this. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, that really that was kind of the deciding point. And I got as I, I had finished probation, so I had um, got transferred over from from shooting Newton to West Traffic. Um, and and so it was very much a different world over there. But um, is that less exciting or more exciting? Oh yeah, less, way less exciting. Okay. It's like we're all the rich. So now you're bored out of your mind. Yeah, doing traffic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah. In the meanwhile, we're kind of making plans now um, to mm -hmm. go to Alaska, and I applied to a couple of police departments up there, and it's another whole story. You probably don't have time for, but. God really opened a door to Fairbanks mm. Police Department. Mm -hmm. And so that was June or May of 2007. Um, we ended up packing up and driving up there with the trailer and the airplane. Packing up the trailer with the airplane on the back. Yeah. And that was shortly after you finished your second flip that you did here. Yes. That I also worked on, helped you guys with. Yeah. That's you right. had just finished that up, and I remember that trailer being loaded up with the airplane and all that stuff. I'm like, the Millers are a special special breed. <laughs> you know, you're taking off with your kids. Shannon, you were like, what, eight, nine months pregnant? 35 Seven? weeks. 35 weeks, yeah. With number four. With number four. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah Quite the did. adventure you were embarking on. It, it was. I mean, I guess it didn't. It just is. It's just, it just, it's just right? another it day in the Miller's life here. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, God puts the stuff out, and you take it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just we knew this was where God was leading us, and so we did it. You know, it was. It just isn't. Yeah, I guess we don't think about. Well, I mean, yeah. Why not? I mean, it's it's where God wants you to be. So, and you you know that, and so you do it. So. Yeah, the doors were open, and yeah, and you were going. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so we we went up, yeah, we drove up the Alcan, um, got settled in to the police department, had the baby, and actually bought, you know, from the, the proceeds of that, those flips, one of them, we yeah. lost money on the second one, we can talk about that yeah. later, but um, we bought, we, we weren't sure where we wanna, wanted to live, like, permanently, mm -hmm. so we bought a triplex, which had a space that was really conducive to building a fourth unit onto it. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm, I mean, at that point, that was like real estate was like the investment that I felt comfortable with. And so we bought, we bought that. So you rented out the two it. units and lived in the third one. Yeah. And then made plans to, to create build. a fourth unit on it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that turned out to be a really good decision. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you no. still own that place. Yeah. No, yeah. 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 So you're basically what we call house hacking at this point. Eventually you started making plans to build a house. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, we weren't sure what we were going to do. We just knew, yeah, we didn't want to live in an apartment for the rest of our life. So, okay. and, and give us time to like, look at the area and, yeah. what, and even look in that, that missions puzzle too. We didn't know where, how that was going to work out. 
one of the pieces of the puzzle too going to Fairbanks is that the University of Alaska Fairbanks has a an airframe and power plant mechanics course called ANP mm -hmm. uh, we might call it that um, and it's a one year like one calendar year you're in class 40 hours okay. a week and and but you get done in a calendar year as opposed to two or three years and this was necessary programs. as a missionary pilot wherever we ended up yeah yeah so we weren't even sure we could end up with like maf or jars or you know we we just but alaska was where god had opened the door for us yeah. so so you're working full-time for fairbanks or part-time full-time yeah full-time for police department uh -huh. and doing the 40 hours a week no no, this that that's kind of a whole nother story. So I could oh. get into that too. Okay, so so in order to get resident tuition, you need to be there for two years. Okay. Okay. So actually, it was this was would have been January of two thousand nine. Um, you know, we're coming up on two years of residency by May, and September first is when that school starts. So you know, we started talking about it. I'm like, okay, you know. If I'm going to do this A and P school, this is the year we get resident tuition. You know, this is why we came up here. I might as well, you know, start thinking about this now. And so I spent like two weeks, you know, got a notebook out, and I'm like, okay, I'm working full time. I obviously cannot work, you know, work full time as a cop and go to school 40 hours a week. Okay. And so I'm like, well, if I worked part time and then went full time, or if I went to school part time, dragged it out for two years and then worked full time. And I mean, I'm like penciling out every possible scenario. And like every you know, last minute in your day. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And and Talk about time management. Right, Ooh. well, and as a police officer, the problem is too, you get forced overtime in Fairbanks. Mm. Um, they're always short, um, short staffed. And so there's forced overtime, there's court dates, you know, call outs, things like that. Mm. So it's like, how am I gonna make that fit with, I have, I mean like, in that school, it's a hundred percent attendance required. You you cannot miss a day. If you do, you have to make it up, like in the evenings and weekends. You're like, but um, I'm working. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, after two weeks of trying to pencil it out, I'm like, I don't know how we're going to do this. And I, I told this to Shannon. I'm like, I yeah. I don't know how we're going to do this, but I know this is what God wants us to do. This is why we came. And so, I'm just going to trust that this is this is what we're going to do. So, couple. Well, it's only a few days after that, right? I think that she calls me up on the phone. I'm at work in my car. You know, we have our computers. And she says, hey, we just got this email from the Veterans Administration. You should look up this post-9-11 GI Bill. So I, you know, look it up on my computer and come to find out I qualified this new GI Bill that came up. I qualified mm -hmm. for 100% tuition, books, and fees, plus almost $2,000 a month in housing allowance. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like, wow. okay, I guess the Lord wants us to go to A and P school. I didn't know how I was gonna do it. <laughs> right. Until right. Then. Wow. So then then I'm still thinking, okay, two thousand dollars a month is great, but it's still not enough for, you know, a family of six at that point um, to live off of. So I need some other income, right? So I start filling out applications and like security guard companies, you'd think, you know, a certified police officer could be a shoe in for a security guard. Never got a call back. So, um, like six weeks before school starts, I go into the chief and I'm like, sir, this is what's happening. September 1st, I'm going to school. 
there's no way I can be a full-time cop. I could give you two days a week on the weekends. Um, so he says, okay, let me look into it and see what I come up with. A few days later, I get an email. He says, okay, I, I checked with the Alaska Police Standards Council, and there is no reason they could see why you can't be a part-time police officer for you know certification. Um, he says, our contract, um, the union contract, actually has a provision for part-time employees because it covers like janitors and evidence custodians and things like this. So, you know, we have it in the contract for part-time employees, but you're, you'll lose your um, retirement and medical benefits. But in lieu of that, the contract says we have to give you a 25% hourly pay increase. So, yeah, so I'm actually like bringing home more money going to school and working part time <laughs> than I did as a full time police wow. officer. And, um, you know, he said, you'll only have to work Fridays and Saturday nights, no call outs, no forced overtime. You'll have to cover court if you do have to go to court, but um, you're free to do it. So I worked that whole calendar year, went to school full time, worked nights, Friday night, Saturday night came home, like went to church on Sunday morning, mm -hmm. and then like tried to stay up as late as I could, leaves about 7 p.m. and then just crashed and then got up the next morning and go to school 7.30 to 4.30 every day. So um, yeah, finished that and, and God provided. And then after the end of the year, the chief emails me and says, hey, um, do you want to come back full time? And I'm like, well, if I have a choice, actually no. And so he allowed me to stay part-time for two more years. Meanwhile, I worked part-time as an airplane mechanic. We built our house. We found a piece of property, built our house. And all this time, we're like, we had been looking at, you know, the, the ministries in Alaska, what, what is going on, but what are also the needs. And even as a police officer, you get really intimate and personal with the needs of Alaska Natives. Um, you have to spend a lot of time with Interesting. Alaska natives on the streets. Um, so yeah, just God used that that time just to be a preparation. You said you built your house. That's like yes, a hammer and a couple nails, or yes, we uh, physically built the house. Uh, our our twelve hands, what, six of us, um, and I mean, we had help at times, but yeah. you know, like a couple days here and there, but. For the most part, yeah, we built it. Yeah, is it finished? You were building it for a long time. <laughs> yes, we uh, we are what twelve years in, and we now have, as of last month, drywall on the main floor. Oh, yeah, and wow. paint and lights. Oh. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Shannon doesn't look happy. It's, about been, that. A, it's been a process. <laughs> hey, it, this is a major project. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of this is just you having to juggle priorities through this whole yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And then, like, for instance, the house, you know, the reason for the unfinished house, and this is a great thing about Alaska, is, like, you can build whatever you want. No, we never drew a permit. We never asked anybody whether or not we could build this house on this property. I mean, there's, there are zoning laws, but they're really not. I mean, they can be enforced, but we weren't doing outside anything outside the zoning laws. Right. But we didn't have to ask anybody. And, like, I, I heard one time, 
other places have like what do they call that occupancy certificates or something like that yeah to, to you have to like certify that it's finished before you mm -hmm. can go in nothing like other that places. in Alaska. yeah <laughs> yeah so you know we're looking at going still going into missions right but we we wanted a house that we didn't owe anything on and so we bought it bought the property and built out of pocket um some of the the kickback from the triplex that you had turned into a quadplex, right? Right, fourplex. Right. Yeah, was helping. Yeah, because that first year, I, I I guess we could go back. That first year, there was this space at the end of the upstairs apartment. It was like twelve feet wide and thirty two feet long, and it was all enclosed, mm. um, windows even. Um, and I was like, man, that's like a three hundred square foot studio apartment. So we spent that first year turning that into a studio apartment. And, you know, materials, I think we spent like about $12,000 on it and then our spare time that year. And, you know, it way more increased than $12,000 the value plus, you know, a net increase of, you know, about $600 a month in income. So that was probably like one of the best financial decisions <laughs> we've made. Um, yeah. And we still own it. And. And, you know, now after owning that for 16 years, you know, you see that principal going down and it's like, you know, a large chunk of money every month yeah. coming off that, um, that principal. So yeah, it's, it's been hard. You know, there, there are times, I, a lot of times we're like, man, we should just sell this thing. But you manage it yourself. You manage it ourselves. Yeah. 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 yeah that, but you're right. It did kind of finance, um, going into the house because. You know, we had bought the house and then we like financed a lot of the materials, realizing that once we moved in, like Lowe's was doing like 18 months, no interest, no payments on. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you could put $15,000 worth of materials on there and not have to pay for it for 18 months. Yeah. By then, you know, we'll have moved out, renting that apartment out for, you know, and we could almost pay that off by just the rents that we'll receive. So it was a decision to stay out of debt on that house because we really, we didn't want to owe anybody. Um, and, but we also wanted it to be big enough that we had a, had space. So we're like, well, we could build a big house and not finish it and live in it. Or we could build a small like cabin and finish it, but then we'd be, you know, six and eventually seven people in this tiny thing. So we built mm -hmm. a big enough house to, you know, to live in, and then we just kind of... You're building. Building as we went along, yes, <laughs> yes. Still building. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. So yeah. how did you then, how did, how did the ministry, you know, in, entering into that ministry piece of it? Yeah, so we looked at um, the different ministries, and there were a couple of, like, mission aviation ministries in Alaska, and so we had gone down there through this like five-year time while I'm a police officer in mechanic school. And the more I look into aviation like missions, I realize that's really not my calling and gift. I mean, I can, I can work on airplanes, I can fly mm -hmm. them, but that's not my passion. It's, that's a tool to reach out, to teach the Bible, to disciple, to, um, yeah, that's where my gifting is. And so that was a good realization. You know, I, I mm. wouldn't want to <laughs> go overseas or something and realize, man, this is just not my you know, mm -hmm. thing. So um, that we, we had time to figure that out. And 
then we got introduced to a ministry. We, we realized one of the big needs was developing native Christian leaders um, to, to lead in the church. We had made connections and heard about this group of native people. It was really just like six people that kind of formed a board of this ministry called Alaska, Na Alaska Freedom Journey. Mm -hmm. And their stated goal was to develop native leaders. Um, that was one of their top two priorities. And then others were, were recognizing a lot of the needed healing from a lot of the you know, emotional abuse and trauma and things and alcoholism and those kind of things. So those kind of their two big needs in native ministry. And developing native leaders was where we thought we would fit in well. So we got in touch with um, with them, and there was a mission agency that was working alongside them, um, Alaska Freedom Journey. And so we thought, well, that would be a good fit. So we joined that mission agency um, for about five years, and then we're actually more independent now, still doing the same work, but just realized it was better for us to be um, more independent. Alaska Freedom Journey was um, one of the men, his name's Harry Hafford. I contacted him because, and I said, hey, you know, I, I was at this conference and heard you guys had this desire to develop Native leaders, and how do you plan to do that? And so we started this conversation about mm -hmm. what, what are you going to do to train Native men in particular, because most of them, you know, they're not coming out of high school thinking, I want to go into ministry, right? It's guys that are 50, 60, 70 years old that finally are in a place in their life and spiritually where they're like, yeah, I want to serve the Lord in that way. So, you know, be obviously, a leader in the church. Basically. Yeah. 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 Which is actually pretty appropriate, right? Yeah. For elders, right? Yeah. To, <laughs> um, and so obviously those guys aren't going to go to Bible college or something like that. So we put together these week long Bible training modules and um, we started those in April 2013, though I have to back up just a little bit, is we had decided, we had applied with this mission agency, and during this, I think it was late summer of 2012, um, I got a letter from the ch chief of police, you know, I've been working part-time this whole mm -hmm. time, and he's like, you need to come back full-time or not at all. Okay, I guess this is the Lord kind of just kicking yeah. us out of the nest, yeah. right? Because you said you're not going back, right? Full -time. And I actually did for six weeks. I went oh, six full weeks. time for six weeks, and we were like planning like our escape, right? <laughs> um, did he yeah. know that? Um, did you? Did you? Let I don't him even know remember if I okay. if I told him specifically that or not. Um, yeah, I, I I I don't even remember. But um, I mean, I he knew like what we were here for. So, um, yeah, so we, we made the plan to go, we applied and we told the agency, Hey, we really need to get the ball rolling here and, and, you know, get through this application process. So October 30th, right. We'd finished the police department. We loaded up the minivan. We drove out of Alaska down to, Oregon to finish up our application interview and all that. It was snowing. It's like 
six hours from Fairbanks to the border of Canada, and we didn't get out of there until like 5.30 at night. So it's like 11.30 at night. In the middle of winter, there's like six inches of snow on the highway, not a single track on the highway. And you're in a minivan. And we're in a minivan, yeah, loaded like with the car top carrier and one of those <laughs> things that stick out the back. And we're driving into like Yukon territories in the middle of the night with four kids and <laughs> and us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shannon, how many of these types of trips has he taken you on? Oh my goodness, I've lost count. <laughs> I, no, this is just life. Yeah. So he doesn't ever scare you? Oh, plenty. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, right. it keeps me close to God. There, yeah. there, 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 <laughs> Lord, get us through time. this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And like that first leg, I mean, it was a, we did 27 hours straight of driving because we had to get down there. Like, were you and, switching off or you did all Oh, yeah. Driving? We were okay. switching okay. off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, but yeah, we, and I think, yeah, we got down there in 75 hours. Yeah. 12 hours before our interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and then, and then from there, we just started driving around the country raising support. And, yeah. So so what happens? You get you you go to the agency and were you you were there for interviews and did you know by the time that you were done with the interviews they're like okay you're on board yeah drive around the U S yeah it they, was fairly quick it yeah. was pretty quick but we had all already like printed up our prayer, prayer letters cards. were being or, yeah prayer cards <laughs> yeah. were being shipped so we, we yeah okay. we didn't see any reason why we wouldn't be accepted okay. so um, we were kind of going on faith on that one um, and. Yeah, and so we started, yeah, we kind of backtracked our whole life pathway. Um, all the places and, we've lived, well, all the people we know. And then after we went around the U.S., that was November, the beginning of November, and we circled around to Oceanside, California on For December. For a December 1st wedding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that was that trip. That was your first, yes. Yeah. 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 Shannon, you played in my wedding, uh, the piano, and I appreciate. Oh, oh, and uh, Jared was the uh, ring bearer, ring bearer, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, it's been eleven years now. Yeah, so eleven years now, a lot has happened. Yeah, yeah. Where what's important, you know, to to take us through? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Harry and I did start doing those week long Bible modules. Bible training, and we really developed a, a really good core group of men in um, Glen Allen Copper Center. There's several villages in there, Taslina, Golcana, and I mean, we've been doing those since then, both there and um, in Palmer. We've done some in Cantwell and uh, Golcana, um, all on the road system, and Six to eight yeah. modules a year yeah. since 2013. Yeah, and and really, like one of the men in particular, there are three men over there that that have really been become active in their church, like you know, leading, um, you know, scripture reading and leading communion. And there's one guy that pulpit supplies both there in his church and all churches all around that area. They do multiple Bible studies throughout the week, and you are know, driving like the next village might be a hundred miles down the road. And they're going there, and 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 so it's been neat to see them develop. And we feel like Harry and I teach together. Harry is native, um, and so it's really just been a you know he leads it, and I'm there to back him up. And you know he'll even tell people, especially we, every module we have people that are new, 
and he'll say, you know, James has a lot more training in the Bible and stuff than I do, and so, you know, he can give us a lot of, you know, insight into into Scripture, and if, you know, if we have a question, you know, he can usually help us out in that. So, um, but he very much leads it, and then also now this other guy, Dennis, he he's leading part of, and and it's it's like in a workbook format, so it's designed to be like a take-home curriculum, but we do it together as a group. Um, mm -hmm and have discussion and open up the word and you know if there's other scripture that's not in the book that will help us understand you know we'll bring that in and it's just it's just really been a great time to see these men grow and um, people in the community because like I said other people come in uh, also come to these as they can um, so it's really been an effective you know I hate to say model but I mean it's just the way that God really led us to to work together and yeah, we've really grown and developed a good friendship and he's since then has become pastor of the Fairbanks Native Bible Church so we're active in that church and um, well boy I, I'm gonna fast forward ahead many years because now we're actually bringing some kids um, native kids um, from a school over in Unana to youth group on Friday nights. It's like an hour and a half drive from our house and then bring them back to Fairbanks. Um, but that's kind of a, that's jumping that's way very ahead. Fast yeah, forward. that's a way fast yeah. forward. So, yeah. Yeah, so the other part. The, of the other part of what we were doing during that time of developing those modules is we were going out to Grayling, which is a village on the Yukon River, um, 400 miles southwest of Fairbanks. It's 400 very, miles from the nearest road. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No roads. No roads. Yeah. No roads. Yeah, yeah. You, we pass that the the town of Ninana, which is on the Parks Highway, about you know, 20 minutes into the flight, and then from there on for two hours, two hours, 15 minutes, you don't fly over another village, so you hit Grayling, and like the closest you come to two villages is like 50 miles on either side of you. So it, it's just all wilderness out there. Yeah. And you were able to obtain uh, an airplane that is basically kind of your family airplane. Yeah. And you're able to fit your entire family in this airplane. Yeah. Uh, and, and fly out there. Yeah. Uh, on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, how often are you flying out there? Yeah. So starting in our first trips were in 2015. Starting in 2016, we started going out there regularly. A week out of every month so we would go out there stay a week do church services and there had been a there was a mission um, church and house there that had not been occupied for like 10 years or more so there was a lot of physical stuff that had to be done just on the buildings but then we were gathering believers there that were already believers in in the village and just kind of getting them used to coming back together to church. Yeah, the interesting thing is you're you're going into a situation where you have missionaries that have come before. Yeah, since like 1951. And, okay. They've been there, yeah. Was that the first basically contact in a, a town like Grayling or was that when it was just like established? So that that goes back to like pretty much the beginnings of like evangelical missionaries in Alaska. They they really started back in the 40s, but the, the mission agency that we were with, that was like the very beginning for them. Um, and 
So grayling actually used to be on the Inoko River, and it was called Holikachuk. And their last shaman died, like, in the 1940s. And so, like, in 1951, they contacted the Episcopal Church, because that was pretty active in their four villages in that area. Um, they contacted the Episcopal Church, and then Arctic Missions, which was the old name of the agency that we were with, and said, hey, send somebody out here. And so they did. And so that mission agency brought out um, a missionary couple, a missionary yeah, couple, and um, that started the work there in 1951. And so you're you're now kind of picking up, I don't want to say the pieces, but you know the ministry house that needed work and mm-hmm. and kind of regathering the the church, right? So to speak, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you know, as you're doing that, you're looking at you know, you're going through all the old stuff, right? All the boxes of things that have been left there and looking at correspondence and looking at, you know, songs that are there, you know, hymnals or Bibles and just kind of getting a feel for, well, what has been going on here before? And there were a couple of things, you know, and as I'm, we're doing ministry and talking to these guys that we're training on the side and being involved in the village, you're seeing things that you're like, one thing was there was no, evidence of any any scripture prayers songs nothing in the native language hmm. um, like in the church building um, and so we're like you know why is that it's just kind of a curiosity right at, at that point and so you know we also started looking at just you know the practice of missions and you know the typical pattern for missions in Alaska, and I mean, this isn't a secret or anything. Everybody understands this is what happens is, you know, a missionary will come into a village, they will build a building, hmm. get some people to come to church, and be there for however many years, and at some point that missionary leaves, and then nobody comes to church, there's nobody to lead church, and so the building sits empty. And you can go all over Alaska and wow. see empty church buildings, um, and there's there was no leadership. And this is one of the things that we saw. I mean, there was no, you know, passing the baton and and having native leaders come forward and be trained and be comfortable, you know, carrying on the ministry. Um, so that was one issue that we saw, and and that was one of the reasons for starting these training modules. And then the language thing, you know, um, Alaska Native languages have been severely hurt um, from a lot of history where they've been systematically like destroyed. And they were, they were, um, you know, had the 19, the, the early 1900s, there were epidemics. And so you had a lot of elders and like the shamans and stuff would die off. There was, there, so there was like this gap of, of native leadership but then in the 20s the bureau of indian affairs started coming in building schools and kind of gathering people into their villages because really before that they were nomadic they would live here when it was time to fish this kind of fish and move this place when it was time to hunt this kind of Mm -hmm. animal you know and so so they really kind of consolidated into villages under you know the bureau of indian affairs and the schools and in those schools, they couldn't speak their native language. They'd be punished for doing that. Then they started 
the idea of going to boarding school came up, and um, there's a thing called the 60s scoop, and this that was more in Canada, but it, it happened in Alaska, where in, the, in Canada, they went in and actually like physically removed the kids, you know, by force of will, against the will of the parents, and put them in boarding schools. And in the boarding schools, if you speak your language, you're going to get punished. If you do native crafts or if you dance or you will get punished who's the they the schools the whether that's a a, you know public like governmental boarding school or a missionary boarding school you know religious boarding school um they were all kind of under the same idea that you know you need to learn english we're going to assimilate you into western culture so it's actually a systematic destruction of culture of, of, of language and culture kid. yep absolutely wow what an amazing trip and guidance of god's hand of providence to the millers uh, and for the millers into alaska and how they got involved with ministry. If you have a particular mission, you have goals to reach in that, and you work towards those goals. We've talked about the importance of setting those goals. As you go about your daily life, your subconscious mind works on those goals to help achieve them. And that's why it's important to have goals and to set them. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. But if you do make plans, your goals, and if they're in accordance with what God wants you to do, they will come to pass. A lot of how we pray and what we seek after, if they accord with the things of God, Scripture says He will give us the desires of our heart. Now, there's a lot that we covered on them getting to Alaska and starting the ministry, and we can just now kind of see this clash of culture that is being observed. James and Shannon will get much more in depth to the details of their ministry, what they started to discover, and what they are doing about it, and how that leads to really the next step in education and even writing on the matter. I hope you found this story inspiring and We'll tune in next week where we really dive into some very deep matters on the native missions on the whole steward. Until then, now that you know more, go out and grow more. All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy. So you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions. Thanks for joining us today for the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.